listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 527. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of season two of the Apple TV Plus series, Foundation. It is a good day in Baltimore sportsland. It might be one of the best days. There's been some pretty good ones, you know, but... I mean, where we got two for one day... I mean, certainly the year the Ravens won the Super Bowl and Maryland won the NCAA championship in basketball, that that was certainly up there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think both of us slept really well last night. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, the Ravens won. It's just a regular season game, but it's against Cincinnati. It's a big game. and they, In Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, which is huge. That's a difficult place to win. And uh, so if we have – fans out there from i should guess i should say if we have fans period but if we have fans from cincinnati i am we are not gloating um it was you know a big win for the ravens there uh, and they actually looked like a professional football team unlike the week, previous week when um, hold on i'm them. getting i'm getting a message from joe he wants to retract his feedback and, okay. and amend it that's right joe i'm sorry i apologize we're not i i, I assure you i am attempting to be happy for my team without gloating uh, as as well as I can, but but then as soon as the football game flips over, I you know flip over to the Orioles game, and well, I guess they were down three to one or something. I guess maybe it was three to one. Yeah, yeah, three to one, three to one, and then then Adley gets a home run. It's three to two. So now they they're saying they got a chance, right? But in baseball, like you know, like the dramatic comebacks happen, and they've happened a lot. To the Orioles this year, but it doesn't happen that much. So, you know, whereas in the movies, you always see like the kids saying, you know, hit one out, Timmy, or whatever, like, and they, then they do like that. So, um, so, when they came back and tied it in the ninth and then went down a run in the tenth and tied it again, both times on their last strike, two outs, two strikes, uh, and then to, you know, to, Come around in, in the tenth and to win it uh, was just man. I was that was maybe one of the best uh, endings of a baseball game I think I've ever seen. So yeah, which of course uh, solidified a playoff spot. And and with you know there's like twelve fourteen games to go. So I think we pretty much knew they were going to make the playoffs. But still, stranger things have happened, and it's good to have that monkey off our back and. Uh, Come on, bring on October. Yeah, yeah. But. So it's 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 exciting, you know. We're you know casually, cautiously optimistic about the Orioles. You know, um, it's uh yeah, they they are just they've been. I, I don't know. I guess if if they got, hopefully they won't play in the first round. But if they go and they lost in the playoffs right away and got knocked out, I would still consider this a, a great year and. Um, you know, from from the Orioles, and you know, one that you know when I actually would watch a game, thinking that they have a possibility of winning the game. All right, well, let's go ahead and leave sports behind and get to uh, podcast stuff. And uh, I know I started it. You did. Um, start. It wasn't me. Uh, just a reminder, we typically record on Monday, so any feedback's not got to be in by Sunday, six p.m. Eastern. Audio feedback has a strict six-minute limit. All right. Uh, it's been a while since we thanked our Patreon supporters. We so, do that. you know, 
absolutely we we appreciate it it makes you know our jobs much easier there is cost involved for sure and with the plethora of streaming services it gets more and more difficult to keep up uh, sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us if you want to ask a question send some feedback uh, you know tell us what you're watching all right uh what i am watching i finished season two of yellow jackets once my wife informed me she was no longer interested mm. and i mean it's a top-notch psychological horror story i mean i don't know how else to explain it the acting is great the, the uh production values are, are top Psychological of the line arch. i like that what's this on again well it's on showtime ah, which, all right, that's yeah cool. so you'd have to figure yeah. out something um it has been renewed for season three but i'm like winning the, time yeah right but the writers got to the writing room for one day and then the strike hit so you know who knows yeah. the plan is for five seasons it currently as i said airs on showtime now i've mentioned my wife reads voraciously books magazines online stuff and, and she frequently reads articles and i see her over there with her notebook and it can only mean one of two things i mean as long as she hasn't got her calculator and her <laughs> tape measure i know she's probably not online shopping right so she gets lists of of shows and she'll say have you heard of this and you know it's probably about 50 50 yeah i've heard of that anyway we started a show on netflix called osmosis which it's been on there for a while it's a french sci-fi series yeah, about a brother i feel like you talked about this one before maybe well you know what i i told her like a couple years ago i watched the first episode and i don't remember why i never went on i guess you know conventional wisdom would say i didn't think it was that right. good um anyway brother and sister team that design an implant that allows the user to find their soulmate soulmate not unlike uh, another Netflix series that I thought was pretty good. My wife liked it as well, called The One, which was a British series that matched people based on their DNA. So, Sounds uh, like a lot of kissy stuff going on here, Dave. I don't well, know. well <laughs> anyway, so you know, we're, we're two episodes into Osmosis, and it's only six episodes, so I'm sure we'll finish it. They're only like 41-minute episodes. Anyway, but as I mentioned last time, we're also in this – you know, back to the past, uh, old school mode where we've got billions on Showtime, Vandervalk, and Unforgotten, where we only get one episode a week. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, they all drop on Sunday. So we can, you know, knock them out one after another. And that takes up a good chunk of the Sunday TV viewing. But yeah, well, you can do dude, the rest of the week then, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I know we say as podcasters, we love the once a week model, but as a television fan, I mean, I'm not a huge binger, but, you know, we'll generally keep going as long as we got another episode to watch. Right. But There's something to be said at the end of that, you know, cliffhanging episode to be able to just roll right into the next one, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, another show, Professor T, which is this, uh, I, I guess he's this college professor who I guess you know helps solve crimes I guess he's borderline autistic and uh, there's a British version I think there's a German and a Dutch version and we've seen a couple of them but anyway we're watching the British version but same deal one episode a week so all right what do you got well 
as I said, I mean, I'm just still really just watching. Well, Winning Time, which I haven't seen this week. The season finale, which appears, uh, I caught the headline, that is going to be the series finale. Um, which sucks because that's a really, really well-made show. Really interesting. Uh, love it. Love the characters. It's about sports. Not necessarily a huge Lakers fan, but, you know, it's, it's tough to, uh, unless you're from Boston, you probably would enjoy the show. Um, <clears throat> and then Ahsoka, again, which is really, really been knocked. But I can't really talk about it because, like, that would definitely spoil stuff. So, so I'm actually, well, we already talked about the Orioles and the Ravens, which, you know, I actually literally put down in my list and my notes is what I'm watching. So I'm going to plug a, a, a podcast, actually. Um, this one's called The Rest is History, and it's obviously a history uh, podcast. Historians uh, Dominic Sandbrook and Tom Holland, who I feel it. I mean, it's not Tom Holland, Spider-Man. Uh, it's Tom Holland, the historian. And um, you know, I feel like I've heard Tom Holland on like BBC History Extra, but I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, they're just two guys. They uh, have, you know, like us, Dave, great rapport, uh, play really well off of one another, talk about, like, some history stuff. Um, I guess the only thing, problem I have, I did, they did, like, a four-part about the American Revolution, and it was from such a incredibly biased British standpoint. Uh, I believe they referred to the American Revolution as a tragedy at one point, but, you know, clearly much different than how we view it, but... On the other hand, I thought it was, while they mockingly had said a number of times, well, now we don't have any more Americans listening. Well, they had at least one. But it was, um, I thought it was really interesting to hear, like, about the American Revolution from, you know, a British standpoint. I thought that was actually uh, pretty cool. And so, like, I'm listening to about the Hundred Years' War now. Um, they did a, a bunch, a couple about, uh, the, um, uh, the Irish war for independence they did a series on and Oscar Wilde and uh, this is really good. So, uh, it is, it is in there as a, a, a uh, podcast that I will listen to quite often once I, you know, knock out like, no. Oh. All right. Well, I think I'm going to talk about podcasts next week. Because uh, I've got some new ones that I don't think I've mentioned before, and okay. a couple old favorites that I think we both have listened to. So, all right, well, let's go ahead and get to Foundation. Yeah, let's season season two, episode six, titled "Why the Gods oh, Made before Wine." Before we do, can I mention just two things from last week? This is like after when you say, "Wait, you got anything else?" And at the end, and I'm just like my brain. I'm like, ah, now nah, I'm good, but I forgot. We had talked a little bit about the, the Shakespearean influence of uh, Sarath as being like kind of a Prince Hal type figure. When we finished and, and I'd sent off the file through Dropbox where I'd be like, ah, there was like at least two other kind of moments that were like reminiscent of Shakespeare that I had um, noted in my notes but completely forgot to say. So can I just mention real quick from last week? So the, the no. first, the most obvious one is when um, Harry – has uh is has Raish kill him and he does it by Raish holds the knife and Harry runs onto it a la Brutus and Julius Caesar right um, okay so when Harry wakes up from his dream uh he washes his hands a la Lady, Lady Macbeth, Macbeth right 
And of course, there is just the the ghost of Raish who comes to. Well, you know, obviously Shakespeare does have lots of ghosts, and so do loads and loads of other uh, writers and playwrights and performers and actors and directors and everything. It's a very common thing for the ghosts of someone who was done wrong by someone to return to accuse that person. While Raish is not a ghost per se, it's very similar to a Shakespearean ghost. So that's 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 I'm done for. Um, we have now can officially put a bow on last week's episode and move on to this week's. All right. Sounds good. And uh, go ahead and repeat Why the Gods Made Wine, Episode 6, Season 2, story by David S. Goyer, teleplay Jane Espenson, directed by Alex Graves, released on August 18th, 2023. So, I mean, this week we've got basically just one story. I mean, I, I know we do briefly touch base with Hober and a little bit more with Polly and Constant. Is this becoming a problem for you, do you think, that, that, that we have so many stories that are really not being addressed? So I think, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, where I think we both had mentioned we were you know, maybe starting to have an issue with it um, as, actually it was two weeks ago, because you know, Day, like two weeks ago, was, was barely in there at all. And then, um, you know, last week, uh, very actually, I think none of Hober and uh, Constant and Polly, and then this week, very little of those three. Who, as I have said, have really quickly become like three of my favorite characters here. So this week, yeah, I I had a problem with it this week, man. Like, like we had already like had, they had taken a week off last week from those stories, right? And to you now to come back this week and again barely check in on those characters, I'm like, come on, you know, like I get you have multiple narratives, but as we said, I mean, you know, maybe that's a problem now, right? Maybe that's maybe you have too many sticks in the fire, so to speak, and you know, we, the writer should have maybe just kind of pared back a little bit so we can follow two or three stories and and do them justice every week because the story I want to hear the most about is the one that's really getting the least tra- and then Hober, you know like again tantalizing you know moment with him in there with the spacers and everything but we just we barely check in on him before he and he's we don't see him again you know so right i mean this is an issue that we all face with game of thrones and i guess on the one hand we didn't like it back then but you understood that, well, this was a series built around, uh, what are they, six, 700-page novel? Yes. So, yeah, so you kind of understood it. So that said, the story with Hober, who is aboard Polly's ship Spirit, he doesn't really know where he's going because Harry programmed the navigation system to take him you know, to, to his destination. But now he finds himself accused of defiling the home swarm. And you mentioned the spacers, but do we really know anything else? I, I mean, I don't feel like I have any handle on where he is. Oh, on, on yeah, who's, no, he doesn't know where he is. Right, right. right? So, uh, but beyond that, that's pretty much it. That, that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a handful of minutes. Polly and Constant 
arrive at Trantor, and, and, and we get a little bit more insight into those two characters. And I must say, I thought she handled it really nonchalantly when he says to throw his drugs away. Yeah. And I was wondering whether she was going to like, wait a minute, are you sure? Because once I flush them, they ain't coming back. She, she actually did say something to that effect. Yeah, yeah. But, but it was really quick. Yeah. And, and she didn't give him much chance to change his mind. So I'm not sure what that's all about. Does, does he like look at the trust that Harry has placed in him as something that's been missing in his life? I mean... I guess he's a well-known cleric. I mean, he's still got that cachet of being the last person alive to see Harry Seldon come out of the vault. But, I mean, how long can he play that up? So, right. Well, what I think is that before he felt, like, unfulfilled, right? Like, they were really kind of like traveling salesmen, right, with a bunch of tricks from technology to wow – the uneducated or, or the you know, and people in the backwater. It's not uneducated. That's not fair to say. Um, but, you know, just people who are not as sophisticated, I guess, as, as them, as they. And so, you know, that might be what the, the big contributor of his, you know, usage and addiction, right? But now he feels like he has a purpose, right? Like he's actually doing something like he's supposed to be doing in addition to being – as the Blues Brothers said, on a mission from God. So, um, you know, I think probably that is he's in a, a state of kind of religious fulfillment at this point and, and doesn't need the drugs anymore. Yeah, and even right before that, the two of them are having a discussion of faith, which I thought was pretty poignant when he points out to her and you wonder whether this really occurred to her. And I don't mean that as a challenge to her intellect because she seems like a very smart young woman, but as he says, you know, it's easy for me. I, I saw Harry Seldon, your faith is so far removed from, you know, the actual uh, prophet that, you know, that, that just speaks volumes about you compared to me right there's so there's big big christian overtones in in this episode and fred will mention another one later um but you know yeah that idea of you know those who have not seen but believe you know like doubting thomas right you you believe because you've seen but blessed are those who have not seen yet believe and stuff you know like right. that, so. um right. and so uh, that's you know paulie is just you know running up that flagpole for sure now, I love the scene in, in the stadium where Day has assembled the populace to present his new bride and the news that he's ending the genetic dynasty. We don't necessarily know if this is the first that the people have heard about that. You'd almost think the the cheering would be louder, although I guess to be fair, it, it probably would have caught them a bit off guard wait a minute, is that a good thing or is that a bad yeah, thing? I wouldn't cheer. He's yeah, like, I'm getting right. rid of the genetic legacy. I'd be like, ah, mm, ah, I'm not cheering for that, no. 
Who and, knows? Like, as we see, like, I mean, this is a police state, right? So, uh, you know, you know, it, it would just be up uh, Empire's Alley to throw something out like that just to see you cheers and have all those people rounded up and stuff. So, and you know, when he reveals the the ginormous statue of you know the mom, uh, basically, right, 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 the uh, the genetic mother. Uh, I mean, what was the show again? There, there's another show that that we've watched that had this ginormous statue. Um, I can't remember if it was Game of Thrones or I don't know what show it was. But anyway, but what begins as a triumph for Day yeah. ends with Sarath taking the stage and literally winning the people over to her side. And you look at. I don't want to say he's got a horrified look. He's like, you think he's going to drag her by the hair and and we don't know do what, but he's got no choice but to let her finish her speech to the people. And uh, I, I think Alan in England points out the comparisons to Lady Diana and, and the way she immediately yeah. won over the people, despite the fact that her husband, Prince Charles, and now King King is he? King, what is he? King not Charles? Charles. Yeah, King Charles. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah, Charles okay. <laughs> he was never all that popular with the people. I don't. I never got the sense. So, um, and, and then. That look that Day gives Demerzel, like, how the hell could you let this happen? And you know, Demerzel always got has her hands folded in front of her, and you 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 want her to like, you know, palms up to the heavens, like, I don't know what you want me to do. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm fascinated to see how this plays out, uh, and and then the fact that he brings up to the people the original purpose of this stadium, which was, it sounded like a version of the Roman gladiatorial games. And um, I'm thinking like, all right, well, what's it used for now? Yeah, so right. probably not going to well, learn, but. So this is uh, the, the second of two pretty fabulous pop culture references here. He, he calls the arena blood sport, which was a uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. I think maybe his first, uh, major movie in America, which was a uh, kickboxing tournament they enters. But uh, I just remember because in high school, we all went to see Bloodsport and we were like super psyched. Um, the other one was Pauly uh, talking about how Trantor is not the center of the universe. He says that distinction belongs to a super massive black hole, which is the name of a song by Muse, which is when he said that, I was like, ah, that's awesome. So, you know, like whether, I don't know if Jane Espenson is doing that on purpose or not, but uh, I, I, you know, I enjoyed those. Nice. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned before the show Billions, which I absolutely love. They just take the whole pop, cultural, historical reference thing way too far. And no such thing, Dave. What, dude, I think if you saw the show... After a while, you might agree. Quick tangent, I started watching the Barbie movie. Oh, yeah. Did you tell me you saw it or you didn't see My it? My wife and daughters went and saw it. Well, they probably, I, again, I don't want to throw shade on your 
wife and her sci-fi movie background um i she suspect you're very little okay um I, I just watched like the first five minutes i'm like omg it is a literal homage to 2001 a space odyssey is it yes i, I mean and and I, you know on the one hand i'm thinking like all right why did you do that <laughs> because most people that are going to see the movie probably aren't going to get the reference. I had to go to YouTube and, and I showed Mary the, you know, the, the original 2001, because of course you can find anything on YouTube uh, if you know what to search for and then showed her the Barbie. She's like, Oh, that's really cool. (laughs) So had Mary not seen 2001. Uh, You know, if she did, it was like so long ago, but I don't know that she, she has seen it to be quite honest, but it's rubbish. So she's good. She did. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, now the, the third story deals with Harry Gale Salvor on Ignis with the mentalics, you know, after the first viewing, I'm thinking like, all right, how important are the Harry Selden flashbacks? And, we get well, to I the hope end. They're really and, important. Is they took up like half the episode. Yeah. Um. I, and I get that it's his life flashing before. I guess his dying eyes, as opposed to his lying eyes. Uh, um, yeah. Well, you mentioned the cultural right? references. Yeah. Yeah. Eagles. There, uh, I gotcha. Um. I mean, I, I, we have to assume he's dead. And well, he might okay, be but only see, mostly dead. Yeah, well, see, here's my thing, and and are there any real stakes for the character of Harry Selden? Absolutely not. Right, because even if this version is dead in the water, for all we know, his consciousness is still yeah. in the computer system of the ship. Absolutely, and and then we know there's a version back at the vault. Would admit Harry Selden have not backed himself up? Of course, Once he realized I am mortal. I can be killed. Like, dude, right. that that's like going to be like the first thing that he does, right? Right. So, whether or not Tellum has thought that far ahead, on the other hand, it's one of those things that, all right, the ability to read minds is cool, but as a narrative, you know, element, it's kind of a cheat and. You know, you've always got that that thing going on, and well, people didn't like that we knew what they were thinking. Yeah, I'm like, well, you think? Yeah, right. <laughs> so now, okay, that so, being so, said, to go and slit a little kid's throat along with that of his family might be taking your discomfort a bit too far. Though, you know? Well, well, of course, there's there's no question. So when we get back to the Harry Selden flashbacks, um, the fact that we know. Harry Selden in some form is going to continue to be a major part of the story. Sure. So the fact that we now learn how Harry got to be the man he is, unfortunately he graduated from that God awful haircut. <laughs> he, <laughs> that was not good. Oh, yeah, that was oh my. I'm thinking like, all right, you are a gorgeous woman. I mean, the first thing I was waiting for her is like to run her fingers through his hair. Is like, now, if we move it up here with a little gel, I think that'll be a big improvement. But anyway, I guess she could see past that. Uh, She's a bigger person than I. But the other thing, it's like, is it just me or was Harry being a big effing baby 
when he was presented with that offer to continue your work, basically have free reign, but you have to do it on Trantor, as opposed to here, where I'm going to confiscate everything you've done. Oh, I can't work there. I'm like, oh, God. you it, know, it, yeah, and, yeah, especially with uh, Yana trying to talk him out of it as well. Like, certainly, Harry Seldon must have seen like the reasonable. Not that their offer is reasonable per se, but he has to like you know, like Yana says, you have to like. First of all, you're mad at this lady. She's probably if she doesn't bring you in, they're going to probably kill her. So there's a little bit of picturing her existence. Now, that being said, that lady sucks. But, you know, still, Yana has the ability to empathize with even her enemies, right? Um, and to see things clearly and rationally from a dispassionate point of view, which Harry has absolutely no ability to do that. And it seems like not really even, even though he is the father of psychohistory, psychohistory is probably the most dispassionate thing ever, right? Which totally requires the ignoring completely the individual but it seems like even still now he has trouble like getting out of his own head well the other thing that bothers me is his inability to see which i can't imagine he can't see it but at least acknowledge you work for a university this is not uncommon that anything you create on their dime they own right and and that's all she's telling him. And okay, fine. He's a you know a scientific artist. I just kind of made that up. <laughs> I like it. Though. But uh, you know, I, I guess on the one hand, psychohistory is sort of a scientific art form in a way. But but anyway, re- regardless, they own your work, like it or not. That that's just the way it is. So. The you know his little temper tantrum just didn't make any sense to me outside of the fact that all right i guess this is the character of harry selden at this point in his life obviously a lot happens as a result of the decisions that he makes so then we come back to you know that that scene with and i forget what her name is the you know the the empire representative but does yana's death justify his retribution oh. now i think on the one hand it's easy to say well yeah of course it does yeah. Yeah. if i'd known you were my wife and unborn child then- so does he not see the bigger picture that you just threw down the gauntlet with empire you're probably not going to win or is there something in psychohistory that lets him know at this point that empire's on the way down and I'm going to see what I can do to speed that process up. And, and we've already talked about, you know, the, the whole thing that, that he wants to use psychohistory to keep that period of darkness at a minimum. Right. And I think he says at the beginning, it's going to be a thousand years. I'd like to cut it to a hundred or I forget exactly what the numbers are, but, but something along those lines. So getting back to what I said earlier about how important is his backstory, you know, once you, you, you re watch through a second time. Yeah. It's pretty important that, that, you know, we learn that the Harry we see now 
is a result of of all of these things that have happened to him. And you might say, well, you know, that's pretty much everybody. And obviously, there's there's truth in that. So, yeah, I, you know, I still honestly, I'm not sure that we just needed all that. I mean, do we need as much of his backstory as we got? I guess is my question. Um, especially when I, you know, want to see the development of other stories. Do we need to spend, I don't even know how long it was, but I would say it's probably about half the episode just on Harry's backstory, which is like, especially if you're, if you're going to kill him at the end of this, which I don't think, uh, why, why do, do we really, because even in, I know, I am sorry. I keep saying, but even in the novels, Harry Seldon, the character is not super important. He's only in the beginning of the first novel. Uh, while he does play an important role throughout the rest of them, um, really not as super important as you know to the story itself as as this Harry Seldon is. Well, I think they could have cut most of those scenes in half. I, I mean, when he's a child and he's doing the math that enables him to walk out, you know, amidst the herd of flying monkeys or whatever those things were. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could have you could have cut that in half because I understand you had to have that. So then, when he does it with the you know the Empire representative and walks her out, you, you know, in the middle of that, it makes some level of sense. So fine, I I, I get all that, but I I just think like you, you we could have cut all of that in half and well, like, service. You know, Why you're talking about that particular thing? Because there's actually one of the Allens mentioned. I can't remember which one. How you know, it's pretty crazy that he was just able to walk in the middle. Because despite your calculations, right, like all you need is like one random animal to like slightly veer off course and boom, he's dead, right? But that's what, that's what I, I, you know, I didn't think about this before I heard that. But when I heard that, I thought, but you know what? That's the point. Like even psychohistory is so like accurate, that it even considers the the variables and the randomness, and that he's so confident in his ability to chart the course of, of humanity that it's you know it's like just standing in the in the middle of a herd of charging animals and knowing the exact right spot to stand, even considering all variables, all all random potential occurrences. Yeah, and then he takes her out amidst them. And then, and I like the fact that they didn't wait more than a few seconds for him to just push her into the path of, uh, you know, the stampeding herd. And, you know, did she deserve it? Well, I certainly think there's a school of thought that would say absolutely she deserved it. On the other hand, uh, you know, I mean, would she have been killed had she not done what she was told? Likely from what we know of Empire. But, uh, you know, then we get to tell him. Does tell him have some insight into the mule and the mule's identity, or is this the first she's heard of it? I mean, it, it's impossible for me to get a read on what the hell she knows and what her plan is. I mean, we know what Harry's plan, the plan, but I have no freaking clue what tell them's well, all about. you know what she says which again you know is she a trustworthy narrator no right so when she says that all i want is 
for my people to be safe, basically. I mean, on the one hand, okay, I don't disagree with her, right? She's she she calls the people there her children, uh, so and we see, you know, when uh, Salvor is in the crowd of people, and she sees one after another scenes of Tellum saving uh, the people there. So yeah, I don't I don't doubt that. But on the other hand, like you know, especially as Harry points out, she can totally control your mind, so you can't really trust anything you see or hear at this place so there's that aspect as well right i mean we think harry has taken the ship and flown off by himself and then we learn well yes the ship flew away but that wasn't harry so who's to say that all these horrific images she shows to gail are are even true right so i mean we suspect maybe they are but it again and and from a storytelling perspective, I still don't know how to feel about that because I get that not knowing is part of the, the experience and that's fine. At some point there has to be something solid we can grab onto. I just fear we're never going to get that with, with tell So you know, that opening scene where Salvor is walking the beach and, I, you know, you mentioned favorite character. Salvor might be my favorite character. Uh, you know, I still, you know, love Constant, but there's something about Salvor that I just love that, that you know, from that first scene when she goes in and, you know, where's my weapon? Well, here it is. And then she just straps it on and she carries it around and it's, you know that's just it's just part of her you well, what do you do you know when you don't know what to do well i walk the perimeter like all right cool that that you know i just love that about her and she gets some insight from that young boy on the beach and 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 of course we talked about you know the the mentalics and and the angry mobs that were after him uh, after them and and how all of them came to be on this um planet we guess again, I don't want to belabor that point, you know, what's true and what's not. I guess we just have to accept that for now that is true. But the other thing that's kind of fascinating in, in this part of the story is when Harry tells Salvor that he resents Gale for trapping him in the prime radiant. She knew what she was doing. Yeah, I guess she did, but well, he says if she didn't know, Oh, I can't. She should have. Right. Basically, yeah, she should have. Right. right. Exactly. And, you know, okay, I guess, yeah, you know, you, you got two brilliant people here. And I'm not that Salvor is not brilliant, but she's not a scientist the way Gail and Harry are. And I don't know. It, it, it's, it just seems like one of those things that, well, she should have known. Well, okay. But the other thing that, that, continues to evolve here is this mother-daughter relationship new as it is and how much blame goes back to Raish for any of this i mean i don't want to get into assigning blame it is you know things happen the way they happened and and i i just feel like harry 
kind of worries about blame more than he should, particularly when, you know, he's the father of psychohistory and, you know, well, this one little event. Right. Import, important as it is. Exactly. Right. Isn't that important? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. It flies in the face of everything else the show has said about psychohistory, about it individual or, or individual achievement or individual effort being of no importance, right? I think someone said, well, what if Salvor ha- had been here? Harry's just like, well, someone else would have stepped up and done it, right? Yeah. So that being said, th- then stop moping about race, right? Like what happened happened. Uh, and it's, you know, like if you were, if psychohistory is so great, probably you should have maybe seen that well, how do you first of all, how do you not see that Raish and Gale are attracted to one another, right? Like or just things like that. So you're right, I agree. You know, and then on the other hand, I, I feel like I'm watching an episode of The Survivor, not that I've what's that freaking episode fifty six or season fifty six. I think I we stopped know. watching after season three or something like that. I've never we, seen we, it at all. I don't think. Well, you know what? We watched the first season because it came on after the 2000 Super Bowl and it uh, must have been on the same channel so we watched it but i i guess what i'm thinking is that we see Tellum meet with Gail and it's clear she's trying to drive a wedge between her and Harry and this whole offer for you to lead my people really i mean and i guess on the other hand we don't necessarily know. I mean, we, we have some sense about Gail and her social skills, and, and it's not like she's not been around people and things like that. But really, because Gail almost, it seems, believes her right from the start. And we're watching with a heavy level of skepticism because we don't trust Tellum at all. So why should Gail? Now, maybe I'm not giving Gail enough credit. Maybe we're going to see next week that Gail's going to tell Salvor, yeah, I got that bitch set up. You know, <laughs> yeah. she, she thinks I'm going to take over her, you know, but this is my, and maybe that's what's going to happen. But right now, that's kind of not what's going to happen. But also, as Harry points out, you know, like, tell him could be just completely mind-controlling Gail. How, right, how do we even right. know that Gail is making her own decisions here? Right. If you can't trust your own mind, then what have you got? Right. He he tells her. And, I ask myself that every single day. <laughs> um, and he's hidden the prime radiant, which tell him apparently wants. I'm not sure exactly why she wants it. Does she even know what it is? Yeah, or? she wants to destroy it, I think. Okay, but destroy something you don't understand? Well, I, I, she's read about it in in Gail's mind, so okay, I think she right. understands it pretty well. Yeah, see, there we go back to that. That that of course, yeah. um, right? And, which, you're, you're right. It's just such a. It's. I mean, I don't. I don't know whether it's awesome or completely lame because <laughs> it's a little bit of both. Where you can just say, "Oh, yeah, I know that. Or, yeah, I totally read your mind to that." Or, "Yeah, I can just make you do whatever I want with my mind and everything." It's just like, come on. So, so then we get to the end. I mean, we've talked about a lot of things that happened in the interim. So we get to the end, and it certainly appears to me, 
as if Harry's physical body and the consciousness within it is dead. Now, like you said, there's a backup on the ship. I'm sure there's certainly the copy back at the vault and who knows where else. So we're not worried about that. The prime radiant is hidden on the ship. So at some point, we have to assume that the ship is going to return and, and Gale and Salvor are going to regain control of it and, and all of that. But for right now, I'm going under the assumption that the physical body and Harry's consciousness drowned in that, that body of water. And I say a Dusex Machina is right around the corner. Okay. All right. So. And, and I mean, certainly we saw... Uh, brother day thrown in that magic pool and come back to life or you know whatever so who's to say but what else that we haven't mentioned so far well we got to see again you know in our very extensive uh look into harry selden's past um the dad who you know hits him right yeah after being scared out of his mind his kid was gonna die like belts him when uh, Constant and Polly uh, go to Trantor and the, the, the lady there at customs or whatever says, oh, I didn't realize there's two of you. And Polly goes, we're not married. And Constant just gives him this look as like saying like, what? Like, where did that come from? <laughs> like, I know. I know. That was, that was great and everything. Uh, Polly, man, just so uh, too bad we don't get more of them in. And she sees something in the the hotel room that, you know, she's like, oh, those look good. And he's like, yeah, that's like a week's wages or whatever. And, and you know, any of us have, that have stayed in a hotel room with a mini bar, you open it up. It's like, oh, there's a soda. Yeah, that soda's $10. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, never mind. Yeah, don't, don't drink from the mini bar. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gail does like a little Jedi force push on, uh, on Tellum there. So, you know, we see her, her powers increasing. Oh, tell him uh, doesn't enter the ship until she's invited in, right? So she's a vampire. She's a vampire, exactly. I like That's it. That's my big call for next episode. We're going to find out. Tell him is a vampire. Oh, tell him is also her great fear is that she's afraid of death, right? Okay. So. Because she's already dead, right? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Polly's been a drunken act for over a century. That was a nice line. Oh, and, and uh, you know, when we talked about the Shakespeare stuff, now I'm going to go with a little Greek tragedy, right? Because, uh, you know, Tellum is killing Harry in a very Greek tragedy type of manner, right? Like, I'm not killing you, right? I mean, yeah, I changed you in that pool, but you're the one who's going and drowning on me. So, like, kind of, and she, like, you know, keeps saying that about how, She's not a murderer, and I don't kill. We don't kill our own. And like, and she's trying to like kind of justify, um, you know, what she's she's doing to Harry here. Who's the dude that got chained to the rock, and then then the birds picked his flesh from his bones? Uh, 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 Prometheus. Prometheus. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Thing. You know. I mean, Fred talks about the religious aspects of Harry's quote unquote death here, um, but let's think about like you know the the Greek mythical aspects of it because Prometheus did bring fire to the humans, right? If I think of something later, I'll just mention the beginning of the next podcast. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. So, 
All right, well, let's go ahead and get to listener feedback. And Joe Herbers, a.k.a. Cincinnati Joe, checked in via email. Now, Joe checks in pretty regularly in the Facebook group, and he's certainly checked in uh, you know, with email feedback in the past. It's been a while there. But he says, something that bugs me is the magic vault on Terminus. Like 200 years earlier, Harry somehow crafted this coffin slash ship that could then transform into this massive structure with a force field using tech that apparently no one in the foundation even understood. Each time we see it, it gets more amazing. It can vaporize people, move them against their will, be bigger on the inside, replicate food for them like on Star Trek, and then dilate time as well. Oh, and it exists in superposition with other virtual Harry, who now magically has a human body, but that's another story. It's just so much. What do you guys think of the magic vault? If I recall, its powers are mostly a show creation, as the one in the book just played recordings of Harry. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, and and we've kind of talked about this, that, that they're, they're extending all of these new storylines, I'm making air quotes, and not servicing ones that I can't believe we're the only fans that miss seeing more of Hober, uh, Brother Constant, and Polly. So, you know, in that regard, yeah, I'm not, rather they just stayed more true to the, to the novel. Well, I mean, not, not the novel in that we wouldn't have these characters there, but, um, but, but yeah, the, the idea of the vault is this, and, you know, honestly, Joe, before I read your email, I hadn't really thought about it that deeply, but you raise a really good point, right? It is this kind of magical be all do all type thing. And, and that's always, I look at things like that in science fiction with a you know bit of suspicion and trepidation, right? Because like you know when you come up with things that can just do everything all the time, it's it's just like the the people who can read your mind or the shapeshifters, right? Like it it just creates either a hero or a baddie who can't be defeated because they can just do whatever and everything. Um, and you know uh, uh, you know both a hero and a, a villain need. Uh, limitations and shortcomings so, so yeah i mean like i said i, I never really thought of it. i just kind of accepted it as face value but i think you've got a good point here joe all right well, let's go ahead and get to the audio portion and we'll be right back hello dave and wayne and all listeners to sci-fi tv rewatch this is fred from the netherlands with some feedback for foundation season two episode six First off, coming back to last week's podcast about the stored memory of the Cleons, where Brother Dusk and Brother Dawn discovered that all the Cleons have less memory stored than Cleon the First. So what is happening here? You can imagine that perhaps Brother Day deleted some stuff of the present Brother Dusk and Brother Dawn, But that's quite unlikely because he then also deleted quite some stuff from his own memory because his memory was not much larger than that of the others. So there are, I think, two possibilities. The one is that Cleon I just had many more memories than all the others because their lives are so, let's say, limited. 
And the other thing is that somebody structurally deletes memories from all the Cleons, including the three or four that are living now. And the first suspect is then, of course, Demoiselle. In other words, she is keeping them stupid and is actually the ruler. Big question is then, what is deleted? Perhaps knowledge about this race of androids. Some people that watch this series are expecting that there are more androids than just Demacel, and perhaps this is the thing she's hiding. Okay, going into episode 6. Let's start with the flashback to Harry's younger life. I think they did a marvelous job in de-aging him, and I think without CGI, I think it was just makeup, etc. For me, it worked fine. You see here, he was always stubborn and special, even from his childhood on, and he had a special gift. And we also see how he landed up on Terminus. And we see how he killed the operative from the Empire after she killed his wife and his child. Actually amazing that he stayed on Terminus after that and worked further on his psychohistory. I mean, after his wife and child is dead, I could imagine his resentment towards Empire was so great that he wouldn't stay on Terminus, but obviously he did. Although, until the time that Gal arrived on Terminus, and he got his plans for the first and perhaps second foundation. It's a pity we didn't see more of Brother Constant and Polyferisov, but we didn't see very much of Terminus this episode anyhow, so I'm hoping for that for the next episode. I wonder if they will get the possibility to speak to Empire, and they probably will, but how would they arrange that? Also curious, of course, how it goes further with Serret and Rue. You talked about last episode that Rue is the schemer, well, I don't know, perhaps she does like Dusk. And we have seen enough that he really is different from the present day. One example is, of course, that he goes to Gossamer Court and picks up nice ladies there, like Rue, whereas the present day only has something with Demoiselle and is feeling awkward in romantic situations. Then we have the whole story on Ignis, I think Salvor is, well, the best. She is really grounded. Uh, if you see how she talks to Harry, etc. And also Harry trusts her to keep Gal more or less safe and also with her feet on the ground. Although this Talon does the opposite. Is she really a kind of transferring power to Gal? And is will Gal stay on Ignis? and start their a kind of second foundation. Will Gal and Salvor discover that Talum's killed Harry? Well, we're not sure he's already dead, but looks like a bit like it. Actually, there is quite a similarity between Christ and Harry. Well, he is a kind of messiah, god, etc., because he is re resurrected from the dead and then crucified. Well, if you look how Harry is in this pool, 
hanging on its hands and feet. Uh, it's a kind of crucifixion. And then, well, he is drowned. That's different. But still, it has quite some similarities there. Okay, looking forward to the next episode. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. This is Alan from Minnesota. I liked Hober's pitch to the Spacers. A pity they were too fearful to take him up on it. That was pretty cold-blooded for the secret police lady to say, Good news, your stay on Trantor has been extended. I did wonder, though, about her being the passport-stamping person at Customs. My headcanon is that Empire knew they were coming. Otherwise, it's a bit hard to swallow that she works both those jobs. It was really cool to see that giant arena. Sarath is once again extremely bold with the move she made there. I guess she's banking on her charisma and connection to the people to protect her. That remains to be seen. I'll just point out how well that worked for, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, Marjorie Tyrell. We also got another tantalizing world-building hint of the structure of imperial politics, with the brief mention of the Galactic Council as patricians who never leave their roost, but are scavengers who smell carrion. Pretty cool concept, figuring out the pattern of stampede so precisely you can stand in a safe spot. Not totally plausible, as I think there would just be too much truly random variation in real life, but it's a fun idea that fits with the fundamental concept of what Harry's field of study entails. I'm generally not big on the trope of filling in a character's tragic backstory, but as these things go, this one was pretty well done, including Harry's tragic haircut. And now that we learn Harry was pretty sadistic when he wanted to be, it makes more sense that he flambeed that warden a few episodes back. Kind of weird that they brought Harry back in flesh and blood just a couple episodes ago, and now he's dead again. I was tempted to wonder what the point was of even putting him in corporeal form instead of just leaving him in a hologram state, but I guess maybe that was the point. He had to be a real boy before he could be killed. I'll grade this one A-. Tons of great stuff in here, but not everything worked as flawlessly as in other recent episodes. Hello everyone at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Alan from England here with feedback mostly on the Foundation episode, Why Gods Made Wine. Meanwhile, what I'm watching, uh, more manifest, almost at the end of season one. And now it's not just the main flight that is spooky, but other events to other people too. So that's very interesting. However, on Netflix in the UK, we have season one and season four, but not seasons two or three. So that's a bit like a BLT, but without the B. Or possibly the tea. Not sure where seasons two and three are. I shall have to go hunting for those at some point. Maybe they're stuck on a plane from five years ago. Meanwhile, I'm hearing great things about Outlander, mostly from you guys, and about Station Eleven, so they're on my list. Also, waiting until you get to it before watching Ragnarok season three. Plenty to look forward to. Had to check Dave's mention of uh, series Vandervalk. I remember it originally from the 1970s, but on checking IMDb, I guess he's watching the 2020s one. I once stayed in the Vandervalk Hotel, but no link, in Eindhoven in the Netherlands, and getting about on a rented electric bike. That was great. Listening to the Vandervalk theme tune on my headphones.
I posted the 1970s version of the Van der Valk intro to the uh, Facebook page because it's very different to the new one. Meanwhile, Foundation, Series 2, Episode 6, Why Gods Made Wine. Harry is getting visions of a stampede. Salva's getting something too. Influences from the mentalists and some of their backstories, which are quite overwhelming. I never really warmed to tell them, but I could respect her wish to stay out of things and keep her own people safe. That premonition of the mule via Gale does shake her. Of course, that vision could be flawed. Maybe that's not even Salva, but somebody else, or a clone. I don't know. But then, the vision seems to be more than just sight, and I think Gale would have known that it really was Salva in that uh, vision. Harry's certainly got some skin in the game. Although we don't know how or why, Salva works out there's a link between Vault Harry and New Harry. And we find there's only one Prime Radiant, but each version is connected. But I'm not sure which Harry or which Radiant is keeping an eye on which other. Tellum's getting more and more creepy and insistent about Gale's purpose. That's going to end badly. Nice recovery from Brother Constant in talking to that spacer when they state, well, they are still human. And Brother Constant says, I never knew it could be done so elegantly. I wonder why Constant's eyes are purple. But then the Empire is very old and I believe that blue eyes only came into existence for humans about five to 10,000 years ago. So with that amount of time, various changes could have happened. The brother's welcome on Trantor appears short-lived. Hober has his own close encounter with the spacers, but that doesn't seem to go well at all. When Empire, and then especially Saritha, addresses the public, I'm getting massive Prince Charles and Princess Diana vibes from back in the 80s. With her seemingly uh, pushing empathy more than protocol and possibly overshadowing Day in terms of affection from the crowds. And it seems Day is wondering how it's all going to go. Demersal isn't happy either. So much displeasure on that almost impassive look. Harry's under mentalic attack and then Salvor and Gale seem to see the ship leave but now you can't really trust anything you see on that planet. Then he's under physical attack. Tellum Bond becomes the classic Bond villain by revealing some plans and then leaving him to die without actually staying to watch him die. When we cut to Harry's life flashing before his eyes, I thought at first it was that young boy, that young mentalic, but it's clearly Harry showing an, an early ability to discern patterns in the chaos, in this case the stampede. Then we see the fateful encroachment of Empire on Harry's life and those he loves until he's driven to use that stampede against that most unsympathetic of administrators. Harry drowns at last. Despite me saying last week, it seemed like he was going to last forever. Things seem pretty desperate for all three heroic groups. Let's hope at least someone's luck picks up next episode. Take care. Alan from England. Well, I want to start with Fred in the Netherlands. And, and Fred, great point about Cleon Seventeenth's memories being roughly the same size as the others, because if we assume it's Brother Day, or, well, I'll get to the Demers in a second. If we assume it's Brother Day, does he just edit his own down in case, you know, the others 
you know, investigate the way they have and, you know, that, that it'll just seem like he's just like them. So, you know, that, that makes sense. But what I love is Demerzel deleting them to keep the Cleons deliberately stupid, which I love because then where it's like, well, okay, um, Skynet. I mean, right. you know, is Demerzel just biding her time before the great machine takeover? Right. And it was funny because as I was listening to Fred's feedback, I was like, started typing that. Oh, I disagree. I think maybe uh, Cleon the first did something to the original D- DNA. And then when Fred brought up Demerzel, I like literally stopped typing and just deleted like the last half of what I wrote. Because I'm like, oh, that, that, that theory sounds much more plausible that Demerzel has been really in control and has been keeping the Cleons uh, in a, you know, genetically engineered state of, of inadequacy or whatever. Um, I like, yeah. I like that theory a lot more than just, you know, the scheming conniving Cleon the first is genetically engineered all his, uh, you know, progeny so that they would be less than he was or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I can't really see any scenario in which constant and Polly gain an audience with, empire but they have to don't they well i guess but under what pretext i don't know they have they have to it has to happen what's the what is the point of them of the show even taking them to trantor if they don't get face to face with with empire well they got a nice motel room or hotel room yeah i uh, mean like you know like like i'm saying why why bother writing this story at all unless they're gonna get to see him yeah. Now, Alan in Minnesota brings up, you know, the cool factor of the giant arena. And, and I've mentioned that before. And yeah, I would have liked some more information about its present use. But, you know, whatever. Maybe we'll. Blood hear sport. Something. Yeah. <laughs> um, he mentions Harry's tragic haircut. Um, and then the whole idea of giving him corporeal form only to kill him. Because. All right, fine. We can deal with Harry as um, a hologram, and that's not as satisfying as having him in a body and and being a real boy. But you know, we've gone down that well already, so I, I just can't see them doing that again. But but who knows? So uh, um, yeah, they they, they really we'll do see. run the risk of pushing our credulity too far if they kill him off again and then bring him back, you know? Right. Right. Like, like, I what's, mean, what's in, the in, point of that, you know, like, so that's, I, I agree with, with, um, with Alan here that like, why would you have gone through all this effort to bring him back and put him in a body only to have him very quickly thereafter killed off? It doesn't make any sense narratively. Right. That's why I, I'm saying there's some deuce ex machina is going to sweep in, pull him out or maybe he's not even maybe like the whole drowning thing is something that you know tell him is putting in his head um i just think well i didn't think of that that's okay yeah i kind of like that or is this something gail's putting in tell head you know are we years in the future right and gail has been manipulating tell for like centuries now all right, that's, uh, I don't think that's a stretch. I, 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 yeah, I pushed I it too far, Dave. I, I, I really yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not ready to make that leap, but but I do like 
you know, the, the fact that that may not in fact be the reality. So uh, probably, I, I was going to say we probably won't see anything on that storyline next week, but who the hell knows who what knows? they're going to do. Right. Um, now, Alan in England mentions Station Eleven. Alan, definitely worth checking out. So good. Um, does tell him really want to stay out of things? Hell no. And we just don't know what she really intends to do. We really have no idea what her end game truly is. I mean, fine. She wants to destroy the prime radiant or does she, we don't know. I mean, that seems to be what she says, but and it goes back to what you said a few minutes ago. When we have these narrative elements, it's almost like, well, nothing's true. And, that's a terrible way to tell a story, at least for too long. I mean, if you start, you know, uh, you know, kind of hammering out more rules, then okay, fine. But for right now, it's a little bit problematic for me. But the other thing that Alan brings up that I hadn't really thought of: can we trust Gail's vision of the future? Now, when she has that vision, tell him is not a thing. So it's not as if this is something that Tellum put into her head. Or is it? Well, but from that distance, I guess. Okay, I guess. I mean, I don't know. But I, I guess I'm just wondering whether there's some other explanation that this vision is not accurate. So... You know, anyway, well, so I, just, I, just the fact that Alan brings that up. Yeah, was, yeah. I think just the, 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 like I said, the existence of people who can manipulate your mind then calls, I mean, honestly, we could, the next episode ends up with Bob Newhart in bed with his wife. <laughs> like, we have, or some foundation version. Right, exactly. You know, where we find, oh, this whole Everything has been a, a dream. Again, do I think they're going there? No. But that's what I'm just saying. Like, why, like, this whole thing with Tellum and, and these all powerful, mind controlling people can, you can do anything with it and you can rewrite, redact anything at all that's happened in the last season and a half. Now, Alan, forgive me if I misunderstood your comment about the Prime Radiant. But I felt like Alan was saying, wondering whether there are two prime radiants. And there's only one. It's right. just that it's it exists. In quantum state. Right. Which, again, so this is another word you can use to describe anything. Right. <laughs> so it's just one prime radiant that exists simultaneously in two different places. So anyway. All right. Anything else about the audio feedback no. from anybody? Oh, just um – Alan, if you do watch Station Eleven, I believe episode two, there is a um, a, a version of excursions from a tribe called Quest that they they sing. That is probably the greatest scene in almost anything ever in in television. So you should definitely watch Station Eleven just to see that. Well, listen, Alan in England, Alan in Minnesota, Fred in the Netherlands, Joe in Cincinnati. Thank you guys. We absolutely appreciate your feedback and. Keep it all coming. Keep it real. Yep. Um, you know, <sighs> I'm saying I'm going to say B. I'm throwing it out there. Okay, I'm going to go B plus 
mainly because just the the lack of addressing those storylines, which are not unimportant storylines. Right. So, and and then there are other other you know narrative problems that that we talked about. You know, with the you know the whole ability to read minds and project thoughts, and how that makes certain things too easy so all right you're going b i'm yeah. going b i just plus, see this right. is just, this one just seemed like really a transitional episode right it's not really dealing with anything in any kind of depth except for harry's backstory right which again like right now i'm saying i don't know why they did that i'm going to hazard a guess that by the end of the season i'll know why they did that but for right now i'm, I'm not really down with that so um so again, it's it's fine. Transitional episodes, fine. You know, kind of just kind of getting us basically at you know water level depth for all of these stories that are going on. But like I said, I mean, just really, the, I, I mean, I've said enough that you know the 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 lack of of stories about characters that I really those are the stories I really 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 want to know about, and they're not even like kind of going there at all. That's why I'm grading it as I am. B is still yes. good, though. My, my students yeah. don't believe that. But B is still good. All right. Well, we will leave it there. That will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Foundation, anything going on in your genre TV world. Uh, check out the Facebook group if you haven't done that yet. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about Season 2, Episode 7 of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation. But until then... You know, everyone out there, I just have to say that we serve you. We love you. We belong to you. 